This is the Personal Profitability Podcast with Eric Rosenberg. there, Profiteers. Welcome back for episode number 122 of the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg, and today we are back with Sandy Smith for episode number two of her month hanging out with us here at Personal Profitability. So last week, we got to know her a little bit better, got to find out what she's been up to since she was a guest way back on episode number 51, and she's done a lot in the time since. In addition to becoming a parent, she has transitioned from having a full-time day job to being full-time self-employed online, and one part of her business is selling products. Her biggest product ever were Hillary Clinton mugs that she sold right during the 2016 election. I know that was a contentious time, but contentious times can lead to good profits. So it's important to take some time and learn about what she's done. There's some great gems in here, so make sure to stick around till the end. We're going to get going with Sandy Smith right now on the Personal Profitability Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with Sandy Smith for week two of her time here at the Personal Profitability Podcast. Sandy, are you ready to get profitable? Aren't I always ready to get profitable? I think so. I think you're one of the most ready to get profitable people I know. That says a lot. Because nobody wants to be broke or poor. Come on. I know. It's like the least fun thing you could do is be broke. Exactly. Why be broke when you could roll around in the Benjamins? (laughs) Like Scrooge McDuck. Are we too? Am I? Am I the only one old enough to remember Scrooge McDuck swimming in the money? I actually made a Scrooge McDuck reference at FinCon two weeks ago. I was chatting with someone. Did anyone understand it? They did. I said, you know, I'm. I said I'm one of those people that. You know, I know you shouldn't love money just for the sake of having money. You should love it for the the results it brings in your life. But I really would love to roll around in a pile of gold. I think that would be awesome. Just one time. So here's a little here's a little sidebar secret. <laughs> Once from my past. <laughs> so when I was a Boy Scout camp staff member, I was on staff for seven summers at a Boy Scout camp. One of them, I ran all the camp stores, which we had four camps on the property with three stores. So it was a a decent sized business I was running. And one Friday after family night, we went and collected all the cash from the stores and also emptied the cash from all the pop machines we have around the camp, which was a lot of $1 bills. And I made a bed of money. And you rolled through it. I took a nap on it. I made a bed of $1 bills and a pillow of fives, tens, twenties, and up. Why can I picture you sleeping on the on the dollar bills? I just had to do it. One time in life, I had to do it. <laughs> Think, when you used to live in Denver and you were near the Mint, there was an opportunity right there, Eric, to just break in and sleep on the money. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say opportunity to break in the Mint. It really <laughs> comes together. We, I, I've been, I did a couple tours at the Mint, which I enjoyed. It was actually really fun to go visit the Mint. I'm a coin collector, so I could nerd out a little. So I visited the Mint in Pennsylvania when I was a kid, when Scrooge McDuck was on television. And we visited um, in the visitor area. You can there's an observation deck, and you can look down at all the coins that they're they were minting and that were coming hot off the presses. And I really did picture myself just diving into that vat of coins. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it probably would be painful, right? 
Yeah, that's something I was was thinking about. I didn't think about it in the 80s when it was on TV, but I think about now. If you were to dive off a diving board into a swimming pool filled with gold coins, that would not be a soft landing. No, it would not be a soft landing, but it would be fun to watch, though. Yeah, you could watch somebody pancake themselves on a pile of gold. (laughs) So speaking of gold and Benjamins, we want to help the listeners earn some Benjamins today. We're here to talk about five tips to build a profitable product business online. You've been doing the online product business for a while. How did you get started selling your first online products? I was in college, and my first online product was Beanie Babies. (laughs) Beanie Babies. So Beanie Babies were the rage back in the day, way back in the day. And I used to actually have a part-time job across from two World Trade Center. I would walk through the World Trade Center to get to my job after um, my classes in college. And there was a hallmark on the ground floor because there's a shopping mall on the ground floor of the World Trade Center. And because it was, uh, it was usually frequented by business people, they didn't really pay attention to the Beanie Babies. So I could find the Beanie Babies that everyone else was looking for everywhere oh. to find them because the business people weren't buying Beanie Babies. And I would clear out the Beanie Baby section in that Hallmark and sell them online for profit. <laughs> so crazy. So I started selling on eBay Beanie Babies. And I was like the little Beanie Baby queen on eBay. <laughs> and see, I have at my parents' house in Denver, we have trash bags full of Beanie Babies, I think, from, from the craze of those days. Now they're worth they're not worth anything. they're worth the beans they're made out of. <laughs> exactly. But I got in and out. Before the market crashed on Beanie Babies. <laughs> I laugh saying it now because <laughs> it's kind of funny to think about it now, but those Beanie Baby collectors were like crazy back in the day. And I just couldn't understand. Now, here I was. Your audience has to understand that I wasn't born here. I'm an immigrant to this country. So the fact that people were collecting these toys, these little plush dolls that would normally be like three bucks a piece, three, four dollars a piece, and buy it for 12, 13, 14, 15 bucks. I just couldn't get it. But I was like, hey, if you want to buy it, I'll sell it to you. Yeah, my parents went to the uh, Ro- at the Rockies Stadium where they play Coors Field. They hosted the All-Star Game one year, and they gave every attendee a special All-Star Bear Beanie Baby. And someone offered my dad like $1,000 for his on the spot, and he didn't take it. Because he's like, well, it could be worth more. I'm like, you should have taken the $1,000. <laughs> I would, I would have taken it right then and there. Here you go. In fact, one of my best sales, so I, I started with Beanie Babies, and then I moved into other toys, so the Furby was the next like, big craze. Um, I remember waiting in line 6 o'clock in the morning at Caldor. Caldor was a precursor to Target, by the way, for uh, Furbies. And I remember I bought that Furby for like 50 bucks and sold it for like $95. And I... You were rich. <laughs> I wish I had gotten two or three. You have no idea. I had doubled up my money. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, I was like 19, 18. And I was like, this is great. And I'm going to think, a, a, a wage back then was like, I don't know, $5 an hour minimum wage was, you know, five fifty maybe. So you're talking about being able to sell a toy and make 50 bucks. That's not chum change. Yeah. So yeah, that's how I got started way back in the dinosaur age. Way, 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 way back. Awesome. Well, let's now dive into our five tips that you've learned along the way. And I imagine I'm going to learn a few things here too. I've done a little bit of flipping of products, you know, finding 
cheap things selling them on Amazon or eBay, but I've never created my own product to sell other than a couple of t-shirts of which I was the only buyer. So let's learn from you. Tip number one. Pick the right product. Don't be on the tail end of the Beanie Baby craze. Or don't create a t-shirt that only you and your wife will wear. (laughs) You want a product that appeals to other people. So picking the right product is super important if you ever think that you want to actually make a sale. At the four P's of marketing that they taught me back in business school, they teach it to everyone. Product, place, price, and promotion. So you have to have the right product or no one's going to buy it. You, you might think it's the coolest thing in the world, but unless at least a few other people think it's cool as well, you're just going to end up with inventory. See, now I got smarter and I don't ever carry inventory anymore. Uh, we could do like 10 more episodes on this, but we have to dive into tip number two. Check out your competitors. I I love doing that because that's called market research if you are going to be like nice about it. If you don't know what your competitors are doing, you don't have a roadmap for what you should be doing. So who's to know if you're overpriced, underpriced, if you've got something that's not popular that they're not selling, or if you've got something that's super popular that nobody else is going to buy from you because the market is saturated. I think checking out your competitors and doing so regularly is very, very important. And there's nothing wrong with looking at what somebody else is doing. And maybe doing something similar. Yeah, don't rip off a competitor. Like, don't just copy them. But you can look to them for inspiration. Exactly. So the think about, I don't know, Michael Jordan has super popular sneakers. Doesn't mean you're going to make Jordan sneakers. You know, there could be similar sneakers. Maybe you want to make sneakers because you know that sneakers are really popular. Or maybe you think, what can I do different about my sneaker that's going to sell? So For example, in my hustle crew, one of the side hustles we talked about was bedazzling sneakers. And I'd get like a $30 pair of sneakers from the Nike outlet, bedazzle the the Nike check, and sell them online on Etsy for an extra $30 to $60 just because I bedazzled them. I don't think I can jump high enough that I could do something like Air Jordans, but maybe I could do like DJ Yofis. DJ Yofis, yes. They'd be green and white, probably. green, Money green. That's of course. My, that'd be my color. So tip number three, let's say you decide you want to make your DJ Yofi sneakers. Where do you get them? You have to source your product. So how do you go about product sourcing, Sandy? So I go through a number of different things, and it all depends on your product. Do not make the mistake that I've seen a bunch of other people make. If you are sourcing a product that is supposed to be very pro-American, now we talked about in the last episode that I used to sell very political products, and you're talking buy America, American flags, et cetera, et cetera, the last thing that you want on your very pro-American product is what, Eric? Made in China. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Although I have to admit my American flag that uh, it's sitting in the garage right now. We put it out on holidays. I got it at at Lowe's at the big box store. I'm pretty sure it was made in China. It probably was. But people pay attention to things like that, right? So sourcing can be very, very important. If you're selling like a children's product, a lot of people are paying attention these days to whether the product was made in China or not because there have been issues with that. Very, very, very often as Americans, we do tend to source a lot of our products from China. Now, if you're starting off small, I actually don't recommend that you do that. Because there are a lot of barriers to entry with importing products that you might actually run into and you're not even aware of them. The first might might be the language barrier. 
Two is the time difference. Three is being able to um, get quality products. You might get a, a great price, but it gets here and it's crappy quality. And guess what? There are no returns. So be very careful with sourcing. I do recommend if you're a small seller that you try finding a wholesaler, distributor here in the States first, get an idea of what the product should, could, would look like. See if you can make sales before trying to lower your your acquisition price by going elsewhere. Oh, that's great advice. I've looked at Alibaba a few times. That's a popular place to source from China. It, it the, just the communication. Sometimes there are some barriers. Pricing, there can be barriers. You also have to know, like if you don't know what FOB means, it's um, a shipping terms, things like that. You have to learn it and import taxes. There's there's a lot that goes into bringing something in from overseas and some terminology you have to pick up. Yeah. So next, let's say you have successfully sourced your product, whether it's made in the USA, made in China, made somewhere else. What is your next step? You have to find a place to sell it. So Sandy, how did you know where to sell your products? Trial and error. Uh, so I tend to go where I can get the most eyes. For us in the U.S., the biggest marketplace is Amazon. However, you have a lot of competitors. So for me, I balance the ability for my product to be seen with the number of competitors that I have. Or some things just aren't allowed on certain marketplaces. So for example, some of my more political shirts, I can't sell them on on Amazon because they might be considered offensive. (laughs) So those I sell on my own website. You know, if it's something else... I test. Is it better on Amazon? Is it better on eBay? Is it handmade? Can I sell it on Etsy? Are there other marketplaces that I could sell on where it would do better? Am I, if it's a um, designer outfit that I've used before, one of the thrifting sites might be better. So you have to kind of figure out what marketplace works best for your particular product. Uh, and they're not all created equal. I know that we think of them as being, oh, it's all the same, but not really. And it all depends on your particular product because what works on Amazon might never sell on eBay. What on Etsy might never sell on Amazon. What sells on eBay might never do well on Etsy. So you've got to kind of figure out what works well for your product. And and they might sell on all your platforms, but I found, and here's a dirty little secret that people don't know, things might sell for different prices on different platforms. So it might sell super cheap on eBay and it might sell for more on Amazon, even though that you tend to think of Amazon as being really cheap. Also important to think about where your target audience is already hanging out. And I say that for... Yep. You know, for trying to build an online brand as well, even though you're not maybe selling a product to them, if you are selling, you know, a super patriotic product like we were just talking about, are the patriotic people hanging out more on Etsy or Amazon? You know, where are the people who are looking for you know, your American Eagle sculpture standing on a tree? Where are they going to go shopping anyway? That's where you want to make sure you have your product listed. Yeah, and then there's some other marketplaces that you might not think about. You can sell directly on Facebook. And there are a ton of different uh, websites these days that are thrifting. If you're making your own printed product, there are third-party marketplaces for that, like Cafe Press. It all depends on your product, where people, like Eric said, where your target audience is, and what you think works for you as well. Because if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work. Some people have a hard time selling on Amazon. 
it's easier for them to sell on eBay. Maybe it's easier for them to just post something on Facebook Marketplace, especially if it's like a big piece of furniture and you want it to go local. Maybe it's Craigslist. So it all depends on on the particular product that you have as well. And also remember, whatever marketplace you sell on, they own the marketplace and they own the audience. I had a friend, uh, actually one of the guys in my mastermind group were online entrepreneur dads. And he was selling a product on Amazon and everything was going great. He was making uh, five figures a month. He was living the life. And one day Amazon decided he couldn't sell them there anymore. And his sales just stopped. Like that was it that day. So you have to be, you have to diversify your, your platforms and your income streams. All right, so to knock it out of the park, to bring it all together, the fifth tip is to understand and use the four P's of marketing, as we mentioned earlier, product, place, price, and promotion. You know, I like P's on the personal profitability podcast. How do you apply these to your business as you're either developing new products or trying to keep old products selling? This is actually very tough because you have to balance all of those things. I'm going to go back to one of my most popular products, which was a uh, Helen mug. If I had been trying to sell that particular product on a Republican website where mostly Republicans hang out, it wouldn't have worked. But the Republicans don't like Hillary Clinton, you're telling me? Um, just, a, just a smidge. <laughs> <laughs> if I had the wrong price, and there have been very, very, very um, few times where I've had the wrong price, then it might not have sold or I might have sold too many. That's a problem, by the way. I found that out the hard way and I've learned to adjust my pricing. Nothing is set in stone, by the way. You have to be able to play with all of these different things to find out what works for your particular product. So I had a an incident where I had a, a mug, a Beyonce mug, and I think I sold like 50 in a day. And what it told me was my price is way too low. So I started raising my prices and I used to sell my mugs for $9.99 that inched up to $10.99. By the end, when I was selling, for example, Hillary Clinton mugs and some of the Beyonce mugs, they were selling for 20 bucks, which included shipping. I would never pay 20 bucks for a mug, but guess what? My customers would, the ones who really liked what was on the mug, they would. It slowed down the number of my sales. Absolutely which was great for me as well because I didn't want to handle all those. But I made so much more per mug that it totally was worth it, and I still made more money than before. That's great advice. You, you have to multiply your margin, which is your what you sell it for, your revenue minus your product cost and all, all the other related costs. That's how much you make per mug. Multiply that by the number of mugs you could sell at each price point, And that's how you find that maximum price point. It does take whatever product product it is. It might take a little experimentation to find that ideal spot. It does. And those four P's, it's a constant juggling act and you, you're constantly moving those around. I couldn't sell, like I said, my t-shirts, some of the t-shirts on Amazon. I could sell them on my own website. And actually, because I'm no longer selling them on Amazon, I could actually lower the price because I don't have to pay Amazon anymore they're not getting a part of my sales, right? I could do better promotions on my site and run them more often. And, you know, I could, I could play with things. So those four P's are super important, but you need to know that they're not written in stone. And it might be different from each, for each particular product or product line that you have. 
Thank you so much for sharing. That was great. We are out of time for this week. Next week, Sandy is going to be back again for her third episode. We're going to talk about five frugal money-saving tips to boost your savings. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today, Sandy. Thanks, Eric. Well, there is a wrap on that one, ladies and gentlemen. You know, those four P's of marketing hit really close to home for me because my grandpa Joe was a college professor at the University of Arkansas, and he taught marketing. So marketing has always been a big part of my life, even before I was an online marketer and online business personality. So all of these tips really hit home for me. I even learned a bit about what I want to do for some future product businesses I might try to get going. So thanks so much, Sandy, for hanging out with with us and chatting with us today. As we mentioned, she will be back for two more weeks on this show, so make sure you are subscribed and you don't miss out. Also, as always, you can go find the show notes for this or any other episode. Go to personalprofitability.com slash blog, and you can see recent episodes there, or you can go to personalprofitability.com slash episode and type in the episode number. So for this week, it's at personalprofitability.com slash episode, and then the number numbers one, two, two. So I hope you can find some fun resources there. But thanks as always for sticking around till the end. And until next time, stay profitable. 